Testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, Breaking Silence, part three, examining five women's claims against Tim Ballard. Once again, we are in the process of a series of podcasts reviewing the statements of the five women who filed the initial lawsuit against Tim Ballard and whose statements were attached as exhibits to that lawsuit. I am happy to report that since yesterday's podcast in the series, I have located and actually had sent to me by several listeners the fifth statement. It appears that there may have been an amended lawsuit filed that clarified this problem and has the fifth statement included instead of having the first two exhibits be duplicates of the same statement, in this case of WW. Exhibit B has now been provided to me as the statement of DS. I am going to complete with HDT, who is Exhibit E. That's who I was moving down to as of yesterday. And then in the next program, I'll circle back and examine the statement by DS. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much for everybody for helping me find that. I'm not exactly sure what the problem was. I mean, I got the initial lawsuit. It was sent to me by a friend lawyer of mine in Salt Lake City, and he just sent me the link to what was filed in the court. So I don't think the problem was on his part. I know it wasn't on my part, but we have the five statements and that's what's important now. Once again, going to the statement by HDT, I'm gonna put this up on the screen. I will note for the record that it is October 26, 2023, and we'll see if we can get through these statements together. I know it is wearing on people, it's wearing on me. I had um, a rather bad weekend after reading the husband's statement um, I know that sounds sexist, but I probably related more to the husband than I might to the woman. But reading these women's statements is awful. And I've certainly had some bad moments this week going over the women's statements. Now, let's see if we can find this. I'll put it up on the screen. Here is the statement of HDT. You can see it is attached as Exhibit E. And I will find it over here. Here it is. So I have it on another screen. I'll see if I can enlarge it just a bit more. That's the wrong way. That appears to be as much as it enlarges. Here's her statement. I was introduced to Tim Ballard by my friend and client, CL. I don't see CL as a plaintiff in this lawsuit. She is, I believe, a part owner in a local business establishment. She was pre-screening the movie, The Sound of Freedom for OUR and Tim Ballard. One day when I was doing her hair, she told me about this amazing organization that helps save women and children from sex traffickers. She proceeded to tell me stories about how awful the world of sex trafficking is and what this organization was doing to help save the children around the world. CL was doing the scheduling for these premieres. She asked me if I wanted to go to one of the pre-screenings. I said, yes, that sounds awesome. She gave me some dates and I chose one. After the movie, Tim was there answering some questions. Tim Ballard, obviously. I told CL that if he really was a famous guy, then he needed a new hairstyle. When she ran into him, she told him that she had a great hairstylist. I think you should try her out. He had his assistant reach out to me. I went to a house in Saratoga Springs. It was on October 24th, 2021. That is a time period that is common to, I think, all of the statements, if not most of the statements so far in this first lawsuit. The 
timing seems to start in and around October 24th of 2021, or at least 2021 in general. So this is two years ago in October 2021. As I've said, we're in October 2023 now. Apparently, at this house in Saratoga Springs, apparently Tim was doing some sort of therapy that he had to do for three days in a row. He was on his third day, and he had to be away from his family and friends. Only Catherine, his wife, could be there. He couldn't have his phone or anything until the end of the three days, which would have been that night. So I had been communicating with his assistant and Dimitri. We've run into Dimitri before. The bodyguard, who was his bodyguard, about a time and place where to meet so that I could cut and color Tim's hair. Little coloring going on with Tim's hair at this point. When I showed up to the house in Saratoga Springs, which was not his house, I guess it was just a house where he was doing this therapy, his wife Catherine opened the door. This is the first time I think we've met Catherine in any of these statements. She's obviously been referred to, but not met. She let me in and Tim was coming down the stairs. He looked like he just woke up. He and Catherine were talking about what they wanted to do to his hair. He was saying that he wanted to have a more edgier look. She did not want that. She didn't want him to color his hair more blonde, which is what he wanted. They couldn't really agree. So she just said, do whatever you want and left and told me that his assistant would be there soon. When she left, he began to tell me that Catherine doesn't like his hair light because it reminds her of when he would be on operations and it made her uncomfortable and she did not like that. So we kind of talked about how there are different levels of light colors that he could have and maybe in the past it looked like a beach boy blonde so we could do more of a natural blonde and maybe she would like that better. So we agreed and I started cutting his hair first. We did that. Then as I started applying the lightener, Tim started asking me questions. He asked what I knew about OUR, and I said I didn't know much except for what CL had told me, and that his movie was out. That's obviously not Sound of Freedom. It's an earlier movie. He seemed very shocked and almost disappointed that I knew nothing about his company or him for that matter. He asked what I did know about him or if I had even heard his name with the LDS church. And again, I said, nope. He replied with, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Tim Ballard replies, I'm actually a big deal. I said, oh, yeah, tell me why. That is when he started to tell me that he had written quite a few books on the new and everlasting covenant. He said that he is good friends with many apostles, including Elder Ballard, and that he knows President Trump personally. He started telling me a lot more about what OUR does. He asked me how I felt about it. I told him I was very impressed, that it's a very noble cause, and I really admired him and what he was doing. He doesn't need a lot of attention, does he? He then asked if I ever wanted to be involved in a cause like that, and I said, of course. He asked what position I would like to be involved in, and I said, I don't know. I've never thought about it, but it sounds amazing. He then asked me how I would feel about going on an operation with him. And I asked him what he meant. That's what he started telling me about a couple's ruse. Is the NDA going to come next? 
About a couple's ruse, Tim said that the way they had been getting intel on ops had worked for a while, but it wasn't working anymore, so they had started realizing what was happening and that they needed a new tactic, and that new tactic is you. Tim said he had been praying about it, and he came up with a couple's ruse, and that it had been sanctioned by Elder Ballard, and that God told him to do it. What could possibly go wrong? He said it was a difficult job. We had to act like a couple. We had to be very sexual with one another, but it was all for the benefit of saving the children. He said that God knew our hearts and our souls and what we were wanting to accomplish, which was to only help the children. He asked me how I felt about it and if I thought I could do anything like that. I felt special that he was asking me. I felt important to be asked to do such amazing, important work. I said, of course I would want to do that. He then began to tell me that his last operator, who was his partner, had fallen in love with him. He says this according to these allegations. Once again, these are just allegations at this point. But according to these statements I've been reading, he says this to every freaking female operator. Uh, not only the part about immediately introducing the couple's ruse, which God gave to him by revelation, but also, also that his prior female operator fell in love with him and had to be gotten rid of in some way. He then began to tell me that his last operator, who was his partner, had fallen in love with him. And before any lines were ever crossed, she had told him and decided to quit. Told him she'd fallen in love with him, I guess. He said he was about to do interviews with about 20 different women to be his new partner. But if I was willing to train for a little bit and see if it worked out, he would like me to be his new partner. Oh yeah, 20 women. He said he already felt very comfortable with me. I told him, yes, that sounds amazing. He asked when he could meet with me so I could sign an NDA. <laughs> there it is. Here's the, comes the NDA. I said, anytime, let's figure it out. And he said, how about tonight? I said, okay. Yeah. By the way, when I was making that comment about 20 women, uh, I sense that this is another one of his manipulative tactics, if this allegation is true. All right. So first the couple's ruse. Then the NDA. I said, okay. At that point, I had told him that I was a single mom. Of course, because that always comes up in the conversation. I mean, sometimes it does. But it seems that Tim wants to know right away what your status is. If you're going to be one of his operators. He knew that I had my kids that weekend. He asked if he could come over with one of his partners after my kids went to bed. And I could sign an NDA. Boy, it's really important to get this NDA signed, isn't it? because he probably shouldn't have told me any of that before having me sign anything. Oh no, I talked about the couple's ruse before I had her sign an NDA. I said, absolutely. He asked me if I wanted to go to one of the showings of his movie premiere that was the next Monday morning. And I said, yes. He ended up wanting me to tone his hair a little darker. Catherine still thought it was a little bit too light. So we were trying to figure out a time when we could tone it a little darker as well. We decided to sign the contract, not that night. We would do it when we fixed his hair. CL was actually going to train as an operator as well. She and Matt Cooper were going to be partners. CL and Matt were going to come over to my house, and CL and I were going to sign our NDAs. So she's got to sign one too, CL does. That night, we were all going to talk and run some scenarios, and Tim and Matt would explain some more in detail what it would be like on operations. 
We talked about how we would have to start training one-on-one, hanging out, so we could get really comfortable with each other and we could know how each other works. Even get to know our normal personalities, like, she actually writes that in here, like if we were sitting down, me putting my leg over his leg, things like holding hands, really getting to know each other on a personal level so that we could trust one another. Tim talked a lot about how we needed to trust each other. He said we would be put in dangerous situations. The more we really knew how each other worked, that if we had to save one another, we could trust that would happen. He starts slowly touching my hand, slowly touching my leg, slowly rubbing my back, and I just keep going along with it because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get really, really comfortable with each other, especially physically. CL, Matt, Tim, and I hung out for a little bit, and CL and I signed the contracts, the NDAs, and they left. Tim and I continued texting every day, every day just still getting to know each other by talking on the phone. So it sounds like they've talked on the phone as well. He asks me if I want to go to a gala that is coming up for his company. And I said, yes. So he got CL and I tickets to that. And at this point, we've only seen each other those two times, but we have been talking and we are planning to get together with Matt Cooper and CL again at my house one night when I don't have kids, just so we can all hang, kind of hang out and talk and get more comfortable with each other. We were planning on doing that before the gala. And so what happened was we got together. Me, CL, Matt, and Tim. We are hanging out. We actually played like some games. And we're trying to all act like couples. It was very strange. But that's, quote, unquote, what you're supposed to be doing. And she actually writes, quote, unquote, in her statement. Tim's starts kissing my neck. I think it's just supposed to be Tim. But Tim starts kissing my neck and my forehead, grabbing my butt. He kept telling me like, this is what we have to do so that we were, so that we are comfortable with one another. Matt Cooper's not doing this to CL. They would touch each other's backs and she had her leg over his, but that was the extent. Now, it sounds like they're hanging out. It sounds like they're in the same room. It sounds like they're in eyesight of each other. So if that's correct, then both Matt and CL can see what it is that Tim Ballard is doing to HDT, the individual signing and writing the statement. So they would be potential witnesses as to the accuracy of this description. They would touch each other's backs and she had her leg over his, but that was the extent. I asked why they weren't being so handsy. He said, we would be the ones who were really communicating with the traffickers. We're the ones who are really in there. And so, you know, he is Tim Ballard. I'm trusting him. I know that sounds crazy, the trusting him part, I think. But at this point, even my mom is telling me Tim is so amazing. She has all of his books at her house. She's read all of them. He's just this incredible guy. Anytime you mention his name, everybody just talks about how great he is. And so I just trusted this process. Well, CL and Matt and Tim and I are sitting there and they start talking about how we need to do self-defense training. And we also need to do a training where we go on fake ops. What we will be doing is we will be going to some bars and or strip clubs and we say, okay, that's all we really talk about at that point. CL needed to go, so we kind of set a date for that. 
And then we very quickly moved on because she had to leave. Tim then asks Matt if he would go hang out in another room so he and I can just like get more comfortable and talk more one-on-one -on -one and talk just more about our lives and get a little more personal. Yes, I did think it was a little strange, but Matt Cooper didn't think it was weird. And therefore, again, I am trusting this process. So by that, I'm taking it, she means Matt Cooper acquiesced to Tim's suggestion that he leave the room so that Tim and HDT can be alone. This Matt Cooper individual appears to be too close to the fire. In other words, it seems if these allegations are correct, and we've encountered him before in different scenarios, that he never seems to be the person who's actually doing the sexual harassment, but he does appear to be very aware that Tim is. And regardless of what his thoughts are about it, it appears that he allows Tim to be alone so that he can do this. We sit on my couch. He pulls me, that's Tim, he pulls me in really close. He starts rubbing my arms and he puts his face in my neck. Started kissing my neck, pulled down my shirt on my shoulder and started kissing my shoulder. And I said, wait, wait, aren't we supposed to just be talking and getting to know each other more personally? And he said, yeah, that's what we're doing. Oh my goodness. And he says, why don't you talk? And so I started asking him questions. I think because I felt so uncomfortable that he was being physical. See, it's an interesting description of the dynamic here that he's the one who's getting handsy and handsy after telling her we just need to talk about things and get to know each other. And then HDT says, wait, aren't we supposed to just be getting to know each other more personally? And Tim flips that to say, yeah, that's what we're doing. When It's not what they're doing. And he says, why don't you talk? In other words, the fault is with her because she's not doing what he already said this meeting was supposed to be about. It's a very interesting tactic to take the attention and focus away from what Tim's doing and put it on her and what she's doing or not doing. And so I start asking him questions. I think because I felt so uncomfortable that he was being physical. Yes, we read that. I started asking him about his wife, Catherine. Mm-hmm. I wonder why she's asking about Catherine. Good move, though. I asked him, what does she know about this? And he said, not much. I asked him, what do you mean? And he said, not much. And that she didn't want to know. No, she would not want to know that her husband was practicing the couple's ruse with just about every woman that attracted his fancy, if these allegations are true. So she doesn't want to know. I was a little bit shocked. I said, what do you mean she doesn't want to know? He said, she doesn't want to know the details. She trusts me. Is there anybody's trust that Tim Ballard has not abused in some way is what I'm wondering at this point, if these allegations are true. He gathers trust like a collector gathers comic books, and then he turns around and he uses that trust for his own personal benefit and inclinations is what it's starting to look like if these allegations are true. What do you mean she doesn't want to know? HDT asks Tim. He said she doesn't want to know the details. She trusts me. She knows that this is a calling from God. She knows that this is what needs to happen. And she knows that I'm the man for the job. Yes. 
I asked if she trusts you. So HDT asking Tim if Catherine trusts him. I asked if she trusts you, then why does she not want to know what is going on? A trenchant question. He said, well, she knows to a point. She doesn't want to know details about the things that I have to do with the women. And she doesn't want to know about the gross things that we have to say with the sex traffickers and do with my partners, which brought me into more questions. So I started asking him, well, what do you have to do with your other partners? He proceeds to tell me that he has had to shower naked with them. He has been in massages before where they have had to grind naked and act like they are having sex. He has, he has had to pretend that he is fingering someone while they were at a bar. He has had to have somebody rub him over his pants on his genital areas. Things like that. And I was a little bit shocked, and he kept just saying to me, do you now see what I'm saying? This is a very, very hard job. Oh, nice one, Tim. But it really is a calling from God because somebody has to do it. And if somebody has to do it, I know that I can do it and have the Spirit with me while I do it. And I said, I'm not sure if I can do that. That seems very hard for me. He said, you will. Once you understand and you see the good in the kids, you will get there. He told me that a line has never been crossed with him and a partner before and that I can feel safe with him. I'm not sure what that line is at this point, that it's never been crossed with him and a partner. He then begins to tell me the first time I met Tim and Catherine that later she told him, Catherine told Tim, that she had a strong feeling I should be his partner. He uses Catherine. He uses Catherine's name just as surely as he uses Elder Ballard's if these allegations are true in order to get what it is he seems to really, really want. Um, so he, Tim says Catherine had had a strong feeling when she met HDT that HDT should be Tim's partner. So once again, I was feeling very uneasy, but also thinking in my mind that this situation is a very uneasy situation, but that I'm going to trust this process. At this point, Matt comes downstairs and Tim gives me a hug and they leave in the meantime. And they leave. That's probably a period there. I don't see the period. But in the meantime, we kept texting. He wanted us to build a narrative of what we would say our relationship was when we were undercover. He just kept saying we need to build our legacy. What's our story? He wanted to make sure we were talking or texting so that we could stay close and he could answer any questions I had, no matter how awkward it may seem. We had planned to do an op training for October 28th. That was a Thursday, I believe. And we were going to do the self-defense training in the morning. That night, we were going to do the op training. He wanted to come over one more time before that training. He wanted me to practice putting on tattoos for him. Once again, he has different women who are applying the tattoos. This is not the first statement we've read where he wants a woman or has a woman apply tattoos to him. These are the fake tattoos. These are apparently the henna. Tattoos that he wants to have women apply to his body, including little Senor Yoder right there above his groin area. Somebody put that there before that picture was shot and that somebody was not Tim. He admitted that publicly. He had a female tattoo artist or however much of an artist you have to be to do those kind of tattoos, which don't look very um, artistic. 
So he has uh, women applying these all over his body, and apparently this woman as well. He wanted me to practice putting on tattoos for him, to talk about outfits and what kind of roles we want to play together as a couple. He wanted to look up outfits that we would want to wear as a couple. He kept talking about how I need to dress slutty. He said, we can look up outfits for you and told me multiple times that I need to hurry and pretend to fall in love with him. He would tease me about how he thought it was funny how embarrassed I would get when he would touch me or do anything physical. So Tim and Matt come over this night before the train exercise, probably training exercise. They just kind of hung out. I honestly was not quite sure if this is how they hang out or if this is how the hangout was supposed to go. They just kept saying that they loved hanging out with me. And if I'm being honest, I enjoyed hanging out with them. It felt like I was a part of a cause that was really changing people. They told me lots of stories about operations they had been on. It was great to hear. I felt a part of something that was amazing. Every once in a while, Tim would come over and sit by me. He would whisper in my ear, why aren't you kissing my neck? Don't you want to do that? I would sort of laugh and play it off as if it was a joke. Tim didn't bring, did not bring the tattoos for me to practice on him. He said he forgot. We looked up outfits that we would like to wear as a couple when we would be out. They were getting ready to leave, and Tim asked Matt to go out to the car and wait for him. Does Matt Cooper ever get tired of having Tim with a woman in his office or room tell him to go out and wait for him? Yeah, he's going to have a tough time. If all these allegations are correct, Matt Cooper is going to have a tough time pleading ignorance. They were getting ready to leave, and Tim asked Matt to go out to the car and wait for him. I immediately got nervous. Matt walked to the car. Tim shut the door. He said, I need you to kiss my neck a little bit. I need you to be able to grab my ass. I need this to work both ways so we don't get ourselves in a bad situation. We were standing by my front. We were standing by my front. I put my arms around his neck and I started kissing his neck. He told me again, I need you to grab my ass. When I hesitated, he then turned around and pushed me up against my door and started trying to grind up on me. And I could tell that he was hard. Yep, we've heard this story in the last statement, this type of activity. So I pushed him away. I snapped at him and he and said, Tim, he said, this is what I wanted to show you. This is what I'm talking about. And sometimes this happens and it's going to naturally happen. And I just want you to be aware of that. I think I said, okay. I was in a little bit of shock. Luckily, Matt knocked on the door. I hurried and opened it. He went to walk out the door. Instead, you still need to learn how to smack my ass. So I patted it as he walked by me. Okay, so Tim went to, walked out the door. All right, a little bit confusing on that sentence. I think the main thing is that she's saying that Tim, uh, she patted his ass as she walked by, or as he walked by her. All right. Because Tim had said, you still need to learn how to smack my ass. He said, don't ever, he said, don't ever pat my ass again. What the <laughs> Okay, so after all this stuff about you got to learn how to grind my, grab my ass, grab my ass, and then 
Tim knocks on the door and she opens it and he went to the door or something and says to her, you need to learn how to smack my ass. So she patted it or patted it as Tim walks by. And then Tim says, don't ever pat my ass again. I have no idea what he's up about now. Is he trying to be funny? Is it because somebody else is in the room now? Is Matt in the room? Is he a witness? I don't know. Just a very interesting turn of events. When he left, I felt very conflicted. I wasn't sure if that's how you should be feeling, if that is what it was supposed to feel like when they were saying this is a hard job and somebody has to do it. This is a little like stream of consciousness reading. I feel like I'm reading James Joyce. I kept returning my mind to the stories that they were telling me about the operations they had been on and how amazing it sounded. And I kept telling myself, this is why it has to be worth it. So Thursday morning comes around, which is October 28th. This is when we are going to the gym to do the self-defense training class. He, of course, Tim, apparently, is texting me in the morning and telling me he's so sorry for staying too late the night before, kind of giving me a little rundown about what time where we are going to meet that night. Asking me what I'm going to wear, we never ended up talking about what we were going to wear. Honestly, this is... um. This may be the most difficult to understand statement in places that I've reviewed so far. I'm going to go back a line and read so that you can understand this is exactly the words. He, of course, is texting me in the morning and telling me he's so sorry for staying too late the night before, period. Understood. Kind of giving me a little rundown about what time, where we are going to meet that night. I think I understand. Asking me what I'm going to wear we never ended up talking about what we were going to wear. And so we just kind of talked about when we were at the gym, we were going to make a list of things that I needed to get together for that night so that I could do makeup and tattoos and stuff for his hair. Okay, kind of getting the sense of that. So then he asked me, are you feeling okay? And I didn't respond. He just kept trying to say like, it's okay and we should be over communicating at this point and telling each other everything. We should be over communicating, I see, at this point and telling each other everything. That's what saves our asses and things like that. And at this point, I'm feeling so uncomfortable about what happened the night before. With him pushing me up against the door, I asked him what I, I think that's two sentence fragments in a row. I asked him what I talked to see. I asked him what I talked to CL and he told me nothing. Honestly, I don't know what exactly this is trying to communicate. I asked him what I talked to CL and he told me nothing. And he said, but we can talk at the gym. So we got to the gym. Nobody's there yet. Everyone was kind of running late. So as soon, so as soon CL, holy Toledo. So as soon CL, I jumped in the car with her. And we just kind of started talking about how we are excited to do the self-defense class and how we were both really nervous to go to strip clubs. Okay, so CL's there at the gym, apparently. She jumps in the car with CL. They're talking. We were joking about how, what? We were joking about what we should wear to strip clubs. I think the how is not supposed to be in there. We don't know what to wear to strip clubs like we are moms. We don't know how to dress slutty. We don't go out. We're boring moms, and so we're just having fun, which was nice. 
I wanted to talk to her so bad, but I just felt a little scared to say anything. Tim at this point is really pushing me to get a passport. He is telling me that in a couple of weeks they have an ops and he really wants me to go on it with him. And because they don't have a passport, we need to get it expedited. Yes, you do. And, and two weeks is pretty darn fast to get a passport. At least that's been my experience. Expedited or not, maybe he's got contacts. He's telling me at the gym, I really need to talk with Matt Cooper about it. Everyone finally gets there. There's Matt Cooper, CL, Tim, Blaine, who is Tim's son. He had just got home from a mission a week or two before and a girl named DM. And DM is the individual whose statement we have already read and whose statement appears in this lawsuit. She's another one of the plaintiffs in this lawsuit. A girl named DM, and we found out that DM is going to be on the ops with us that night. The, and we started doing the training. Well, DM tells us that she had just barely got a divorce. And she tells us about, I think her husband had been in former military, so she kind of knew some self-defense. As we started learning some self-defense techniques, Tim was taking us aside one by one to sign our NDAs. He did take DM back in the office, I believe, for a minute. Then he took me back there. I'm not sure if he took CL back there or not. He took DM back first. Then when it was my turn, the first thing he said to me was that DM just asked me if she could be my partner. And he said, what do you think about that? I guess only one girl can be Tim's partner on an op. And now we've got multiple women vying for the honor. And he wants to know what HDT thinks about the fact that DM just asked him if DM could be his partner on the mission, even though he's already promised that to HDT. And he said, what do you think about that? I said, do you want to be her partner? And he said, no, I want to be your partner. I told him I could be whoever's partner he needed me to be. He then asked me, oh, are you not jealous? I said, wait, what am I supposed to be jealous? He was like, yeah, you're supposed to be jealous. It's a privilege to be my partner. And I was like, oh, yes, then I'm so jealous in a joking tone. He didn't find it funny. No, he wants her to be really attracted to him and really be jealous. And that's what this whole little conversation was likely about. She's not playing the part the way he wants her to play it. He didn't find it funny. We talked more about it. He started bringing a spiritual side into it. By the end of our conversation, I did feel privileged to be his partner. I felt blessed. She puts that in quotation marks. Later, we get finished the self-defense training. We sign new DNA contracts. I never got a copy. We left to go home and get ready. Okay. Uh, maybe the shortest run-on sentence I've ever seen. I never got a copy. We left to go home and get ready. One sentence. When I got in my car, I just had a sick feeling, so I asked him to, to call me. So he called me, and I just said, I don't know. I'm getting really nervous. So he once again told me that he just felt so, so sure that I needed to be his partner. Even that morning, he had had a dream the night before about some really amazing things that we did to save some children. So he just confirmed that it was just nerves and that I could trust him and everything was going to be good. 
He then again called me and he said, hey, I think just you and I are going to leave your house. We're not going to leave the gym, which is originally where we were all going to leave. He was like, I think we just need to make sure you're okay before we meet up with everyone. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so nice. Okay, if you can understand that leave part better than I can, congratulations. So he said, well, just Uber from your house. Well, when he gets to my house, he is with his son and Matt Cooper, his son who was at the training, Blaine. His name is Blaine, not the training name. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, this is not going to be okay. Blaine cannot come on this mission with us. They all reassured me, Blaine included, that he would not be going into any bars or any strip clubs, that he was going to be on the outside. Just doing things with the phones and making sure we were all where we needed to be, those types of things, and that I didn't need to worry about that. I just felt like it would have been very strange that I'm there pretending to be a couple with his dad. I didn't want him to have that image in his mind, nor did I feel comfortable with Tim's son, who had just got home from a mission, being in a strip club. So they get everything ready. All the phones are ready. Everything's connected. These phones, OUR phones, that only nobody can that only nobody can connect to, except for anyone who has one of those phones. So they give us one, and they leave. Well, Tim was like, okay. Well, now we have to be in character because the second you get off a plane in another country, you are in character. Anyone can be a spy from the cab driver to every single person at the hotel, like everyone is working for the sex traffickers. And you have to be in character at all times, except for when you are in your hotel room. I was ready for the night, but he wanted to go up to my bathroom, in my bedroom, and put his tattoo on. So we go up, he changes in my bathroom with the door closed. He comes out and I put his tattoo on his arm. And like, I think we put a headband on him. Then we're getting ready to leave. I'm not sure I've ever actually read somebody who writes the way they talk. I'm wondering if this was dictated in some way through some software that wrote it up. I think our Uber was supposed to be there in five minutes. And by the way, and then never, uh, reviewed or edited afterward. I think our Uber was supposed to be there in five minutes and he kind of just pushes me back onto my bed. And I was like, what are you doing? And he said, I just want to see how far you're willing to go. And I was like, whoa, what do you mean? And he said, I want to see how comfortable you can be. You need to be very comfortable with me. I had a long sleeve shirt dress on and he starts kissing my legs and he lifts up my dress to right underneath where my boobs are. And he's kissing my stomach. I kept saying, are you sure? Wait, are you sure? He would say something to the fact or the effect, like we might have to do this. Like if we're on a beach, we have to show them that this is who we are and that we're very, we're a very sexual couple. And they have to see this and you have to be comfortable. You can't shy away from it. And you get very shy. This is what she's saying, Tim told her. You shy away from this stuff. I would say, okay, I think I can do it. If we were in a situation, but in my bedroom, that feels very uncom uncomfortable. And he kept saying, I need you to show me. I need you to show me. But also his phone kept ringing, which made me feel like everyone was waiting on us or Uber was there. So he literally turned his phone off 
period, at this point, period. I'm trying to talk to him and ask him questions. And so he would stop for a minute and answer my questions. And then he would start like kissing my stomach again and kissing my neck and like putting his legs in between my legs, grinding on me, asking me to kiss his neck, his stomach. Then my phone keeps ringing and buzzing. And so I push him off me. I go get my phone. It's Matt Cooper. He sounds very frustrated. I handed him over to Tim. Tim is like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. Just get another Uber here. Oh, this is the flip side. This is the flip side of a statement we read earlier about Tim was supposed to be there with this woman at the gala or no, at the strip club, remember? And he was going to get an Uber, but they missed the first Uber and they had to get a second one. So they took them longer to get there. This was when Tim was wanting the 20 minutes in the room before he met up with the gang to go to the strip club in Salt Lake City. So I handed him over to Tim. Tim is like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. Just get another Uber here. Luckily, the Uber was five minutes away. So I was like, I need to freshen up. I think if they took all the likes out of the statement, it would improve it dramatically. He, to me, to remember, he told me, he told me to remember the second we got in the Uber. Period. Okay. I think I know what's going on here. He told me to remember the second we got in the Uber, comma, quotation marks, we are in character. Well before we left, I felt as if I had a headache, so I grabbed some ibuprofen out of my drawer before I went to freshen up. He asked me if he could have some ibuprofen. I gave him some, and then he also asked if he could have some for the road. I said yes, and he, he also asked if I had some Excedrin. I said yes, so I gave him some Excedrin as well. Then I shut the drawer and went in the bedroom or the bathroom to finish freshening up. When I came back, I noticed my drawers, my drawer was open. Even now, I remembered shutting it. I thought that was strange, but didn't think too much about it. Then we go get in the Uber and we start driving there. Of course, he's all over me. He had brought some energy drinks. I noticed that he had put a pill in his mouth and started drinking some energy drinks. It was not the ibuprofen or et cetera and I had given him. I asked him if he just took a pill and he said, yeah, sometimes I have to take some pills that I was taking for my anxiety. He told me that when he would take that pill with an energy drink, that it would almost make him feel like he had a little bit of a high. I thought, well, that's great, but to each their own. I didn't know what to do. I'm in a car with him once again. Everyone's telling me to trust this man. We are sitting in the car. He's telling me that when we are in these situations, we always have to just be very, very sexual. <clears throat> Excuse me all over each other, just like groping each other. So he's just all over me. If we could take out all the justs as well as all the likes in the statement, be much better. So he's just all over me, like even spreads my legs in the car and like puts his hand right there on my thigh. And he's like, oh, I just love these legs. And it's like grabbing them and just being very grungy. We get to the bar slash strip club. See, slash is spelled out here. Yeah, 
I'm definitely detecting that this was dictated in some kind of a format or software that then wrote it out. And nobody came back to correct it. We get to the bar slash S-L-A-S-H strip club. And we were the first ones there. So we go inside and we sit at a table and Tim tells me I just need to be all over him. I need to give him lap dances. I need to talk to the women when they come over and ask them questions and tell them to dance for us and tell them they look nice and ask them what time they get off. Questions like that. He would give me assignments. Like I needed to go talk to the owner and ask him how long he's owned the place and talk to certain strippers and ask them how they started. And just all these questions so that I could get comfortable talking to these types of people. Then he got us a private room with a stripper. I was completely mortified. We go back to this room. At this point, Matt Cooper, DM, and CL show up. They need to pretend that they don't know us. This is the secondary unit. They just walked by us. They go sit down and I can see they're talking to people. I'm not quite sure what else happens. I just remember being back in this room with the strippers, boobs and butt in my face. That escalated quickly. So is she saying, I think, that she went back to the room with Tim and the stripper went with them because he'd ordered the stripper and now the stripper's boobs and butt are in her face. Tim had me sit on his lap. So pretty much she was giving me, she was giving me a lap dance with no shirt on and a thong shaking her butt in my face rubbing her boobs all over me. And finally, I was like, okay, thank you so much. This was so great. Like, we're done. And she was like, we have five more minutes. And I just said, thank you. This was amazing. But now I need to go fuck my man. Because that was our safe word. I could not be in there anymore. I had to leave. So we left the strip club and he said, I'm sorry, was that too much? And I said, yes, I just need to breathe. So we walked around just in the parking lot for a minute. I got some air and he said, okay, do you think we're good? And I said, yeah, I think I'm okay. And he said, okay, we're going to go somewhere else. So I'm just trying to prepare myself. I'm telling myself that I think I can do this. Trying to talk myself into being a big girl, telling myself how amazing it will be if I can actually pull this off and help all these kids and what that will feel like and that somebody has to do this hard job and that I, that I can do this and that I need to be a bigger person than what I was being in that moment because that is what Tim is telling me. And I'm believing in him. So we pull up to this next strip club. At this one, we all walk in together. There's a lot more people here in this one and this one is dirty, gross, and vile. Apparently the, the other one wasn't so much so. Most of the women do not have their shirts on. They have little to no underwear on. I am feeling sick to my stomach. I wanted to cry, so I excused myself. I go to the bathroom. I'm in a stall. It's disgusting. I don't even dare to pee. I just lean my head over because I don't want to mess up my makeup. And I let the tears just fall to the ground because I don't want to mess up my makeup. I'm trying to keep it together, but this is so hard for me. I pull it together as much as I can. I don't have my phone. We aren't allowed to have our phones. Yeah, somebody might start snapping pictures that could be compromising, I imagine. 
So I'm just really trying hard to be okay. I washed my hands and I went out and I noticed that Tim has his arm around DM. CL is sitting in a booth with Matt Cooper and Tim walks over to me and asks me if I'm okay. And I said, yep. And he was like, okay, come with me. And we start dancing. And then he takes me into this room and he whispers in my ear, are you okay? And I just nod and he says, okay. And we are in this little room by ourselves. There's a curtain and a woman opened it and they opened it and asked us if we want someone to come dance for us. And he tells them now that I'm going to dance for him, for him. So he tells me I need to give him a lap dance. So I start giving him a lap dance. And next thing I know, his son opens the curtain and I'm staring him straight in the face and he is watching me give his dad a lap dance. I lost it. I came unglued. Blaine, his son, turns around, says sorry, and walks away. I told Tim I was done. Yes, this is where DM's um, statement overlaps with HDT's statement. I freaked out. I told him we're all done. We are, we are all leaving. This night is over. I told Tim he lied to me and told me that this would not happen. They all promised me. When I walked her when I walked out of that room, Blaine was sitting at the bar. He's literally staring at this girl on a pole with her leg up to her head and her vagina is sticking out of her thong, like in the middle of her vagina. So her vagina is completely hanging out and he's like a deer in the headlights. I grabbed him. I tell him he needs to leave. Then I went and grabbed Matt, CL, and DM. I said, we are done. I am so upset. Blaine should not be in here. We are leaving at this point. I've never seen this older gentleman, but he is clearly a part of OUR and the team. He came up and apologized to me. I just said, whatever. We are all leaving. We are all outside. Tim went over and talked to Blaine for a minute. Then mine and Tim's Uber came. We all got back into our cars and met back at the gym in Draper. I honestly do not remember my conversation with Tim on the way back. I just remember walking into that gym. Everyone was looking at me with faces like, oh, shit. And I walked right up to Blaine and I asked him if his mom knew where he was that night. And he said, she knows I'm here with my dad. And I said, so what does she think you're doing? And he said, well, she thinks that I'm just helping with training. Does she know that you were going to strip clubs? And he said, no. And I said, would she be okay with you going to strip clubs? And he said, no. Earlier that night when he was at my house helping with the phones, he had told me that he had a girlfriend and that she had waited for him while he was on his mission. I don't know if that's the same girlfriend that he's currently engaged to and set to be married to in the temple. Uh, I, a friend sent me an invitation, not that she or I are invited, but merely that there are wedding invitations that have been sent out. Earlier that night when he was at my house helping with the phones, he had told me that he had a girlfriend and that she had waited for him while he was on his mission. And I said, how do you think your girlfriend would feel with you being here? And he said, not okay. And I said, that there's your answer. You should not have been here tonight. It's really easy, interesting. She can see that so clearly with Blaine and not quite as clearly with everybody else, including herself. She feels it, but she doesn't see it so clearly at this point. He said, it's okay. 
it's okay. I've known about this and I've been training for this my whole life. <laughs> training to sit at a bar in a strip club and watch a stripper on a pole. And I said, you really should think about getting a different job. If you want to do this, do a different part of it. So we all huddle up. I'm standing in the corner because I'm so pissed off and everyone still is just kind of apologizing. Like, we're so sorry. It's really awkward. I don't really remember the rest of the night. I got a message from Tim the next morning at 6.52 a.m., which suggests that she still has a, that text and can read the, uh, the time off of it, that said, you were fantastic. I really do want to keep working with you. We will work out the emotions and tactics, and so many things will revolve around ops. Let's talk very soon. We ended up talking on the phone a lot that day, and from then on, we talked a lot about spiritual things. My dad had been diagnosed with a brain tumor about a year and a half before that, and it was terminal. Now, she's not vulnerable at all. I was really struggling with my spirituality and, and God at the time. My dad at the time had a brain tumor and was dying. I confided in him about that. I confided in him, by which I think she means Tim, that I had depression and anxiety. He confided in me that night that he had a major meltdown, like a complete meltdown in front of family, friends, his wife, his kids, and that this, this is him kind of coming back from this, that he had not done operations for a while, that this is coming back and that even now after that night, how he saw how I protected Blaine and even him, that he felt even more that I was supposed to be his partner. Tim said he felt very, very safe with me and that he knows that I will protect him. He wants me to know that he really does care about me and he thinks that this is going to be a really great relationship. You know, Louis, this could be the start of a wonderful friendship. He was joking and saying that I was his drug provider, his waxer, his hairstylist, his massage therapist. And he was saying, this is awesome. Like I was everything for him. We were texting really late and because I didn't, period. He was saying that I was just all these things for him. I was trying to turn it around and I would always do this. I would turn it around on his wife and I would say, go to bed, like go make love to your wife. Go do something for your wife. Tim, go do something for your kids. I would try to turn things around onto his family. I could tell he was relying on me heavily for his mental stability at this point. Somehow he seems to make every female operative of his feel like they are responsible for his mental health. I really was starting to care for him. I guess it works. Only as a friend. As someone I looked up to and realized he had been through so much. We just kind of, he's really playing the sympathy card. That seems to, to help out as well. Poor Tim. We just kind of keep talking and texting at this point. When we did see each other, I don't believe there was any touching or uncomfortableness that way. It would be quick for a haircut or a wax. Or a wax. Okay. So I'm guessing that, is she also waxing Tim? Right before the gala, at, I'm going to put into the sentence, at the end of October. He came over and he just, he told me. He came over and he just, he told me that he was feeling a little unsettled and that he wanted to talk to me about some things. He just kept talking to me about how safe he felt with me, how he could talk to me about anything, how he wants to tell me his deepest, darkest secrets, that he feels like he can relate and rely on me, that I'm the only one right now that he can talk to and even feel safe with. 
boy, it's him laying it on thick. He was often making comments, though, that were like, please don't come after me. I don't want to sue you. Oh, my gosh. There's the threat. I don't want to sue you, so please don't come after me because I'd hate to have to sue you. But if you come after me and tell the truth about what I did to you, then I'd have to sue you. I wouldn't want to do that. Oh, my gosh. You know, she's still quoting Tim. You know, if you went to the public and told them all these secrets that I'm telling you, that you would have your small moment of fame, but it wouldn't be good. It would look like we are having an affair. You would just look, you would just look bad. And I would just kind of ask him why he would say that. And he would just say, everyone that I love turns on me. Everyone that I love makes up stories about me. I wanted him to trust me. I wanted him to feel like he had a friend in the world. Poor lonesome Tim. I wanted to be there for this man who has done so much for everyone. And quite honestly, I wanted to help him with his wife. I had seen her. I saw the sadness in her eyes. And all of it made me feel very sad. And when he had talked about his former partners to me and how they had fallen in love with him, period, end of sentence fragment, I was not attracted to him in that way. So I felt very much like that was going to be an easy thing for me to do, that I could just be his friend. Yeah, let's just be friends, Tim. At this point, he has come over a couple of times. I'm not sure exactly what we have talked about, but, or what, the days are. This is all the end of October, but he has talked to me about number one, the operator DM, who went on all, on the training with us. Okay. He told me that when we were out that night, that she, DM, had made him very uncomfortable and that she kept saying, I should be your operator. I should be with you. And that even at the end of the night, he kept saying, you should date my son. You should date my son. That's repeated. Just to show her that he was not interested in her and that he didn't want her to be his operator. He all, what is the age of this person, DM? If he's saying, or at least I don't believe he's actually saying this, but, you know, for you, for him to say to her that she should be dating his son. She sounds pretty young if his son's an RM and he's suggesting they be dating. You should date my son just to show her that he was not interested in her and that he didn't want her to be his operator. He also told me about all his previous partner, about his previous partner, DS. And that's the missing statement that is no longer missing and that I'll be reading the next time. He also told me about his previous partner, DS, that they had worked so well together, but she just could not help but fall in love with him. And she was so in love with him. She had tried kissing him. Can you imagine? They still remained friends. It was hard on Catherine knowing, but not knowing. Sex was difficult for them. Ah. Oh, wow. So he's giving the line about how my sexual relationship with my wife is in the toilet. Right? Sex was difficult for them. She didn't like to be naked or be waxed because she felt he would just picture little girls' vaginas. He also, so amazing. So she doesn't want to be naked. She doesn't want to be waxed. And actually, somebody had made the comment the other day, a pithy comment about the reason he wanted his operatives to have Brazilian waxes is because Catherine wouldn't. 
And I think that was a joke at the time, but it looks like it's actually here in this statement where Tim is allegedly saying this about his wife, that she doesn't want to be waxed because she felt he would just picture little girl vaginas. He also had told me to read this book. It was called Visions of Glory. It was called Visions of Glory. It was called Visions of Glory, the common denominator. He also had told me to read this book. It was called Visions of Glory and that he had met with a man who wrote it before he had died. His name was Tom Harrison. It is T-H-O-M. Tom Harrison, and that Tom had told him lots of visions that he had had that actually had Tim in them. Okay, finally, some really, really different and new information here about Tim's background and his connection with Tom Harrison, author of Visions of Glory. He said, this is Tom Harrison, the guy who gets all the visions, the visions of glory. He said that Tim would be a prophet of the LDS church one day that he would be the president of the United States. So apparently, at least if this allegation is correct, this is where Tim gets the idea because he looks at Tom Harrison as his spiritual mentor. Tom Harrison has met with Tim. Tom Harrison has had visions about Tim and about his future. And Tom Harrison has told Tim that he will one day be the prophet of the LDS church and he'll also be the president of the United States. He told me that he also had another psychic friend, one here in Utah, that she would tell him things like who his partner should be, that she would tell him a lot of times where he could find the children and where the sex traffickers were. And that's where he sometimes got a lot of his information from. He had been going to California where he was doing shows on PragerU. He was, and I understand it to be a conservative university, and I don't know if it's a real physical university or more of an internet or both. But I don't know much about it. He was telling me that they wanted him to start hosting his own show. And while he was there, he had met with this lady who had done tantric on him. He said that they got naked together. It doesn't sound like it's part of an op. She didn't touch him, but she did sit behind him and that she would do these tantric exercises on him. And that what would happen is it would get out all of the bad like juju in him. And what would happen was at the end, he would have an orgasm and that he would get such good relief. But he felt that it was okay because they weren't touching. He wasn't attracted to her. She was an older woman, not attractive. But he was getting out all the gross toxins and stuff in his body. But that he could have an orgasm and he would ask me if. Really? but that he could have an orgasm and he would ask me if there's no period and the rest of the line is blank. It seems to end there. I thought he should feel bad about it. And I asked him if Catherine knew and he said no. And I said, then maybe it's something you should not be doing. You should probably have a conversation with her. Or if not, like just maybe don't do it. I thought it was the strangest thing. And he kept saying, oh my gosh, you should try stuff like this. You should do stuff like this. And I told him I was not interested in that. I had told him about this show called The Goop Lab with Gwyneth Paltrow and that they talked a lot about things like sex and being in your mind and all of these things. I told him that I thought he should sit down and watch it with his wife and that maybe it could help because he would always try to talk about his sex life about Catherine with me. Do you not understand that this is just a ploy and this is just a line? 
that goes back to caveman days. That's how old this line is. Oh, I hate my wife. We don't get along at all. I would not want to talk about it. And he would just say they couldn't talk about it openly. So at the time, I mean, I'm a hairstylist. A lot of women talk about these things. And I had heard a lot about this show. And so I told him to watch it with her, the Gwyneth Paltrow show, apparently. That's when he started telling me that, like, he had had this therapy session. And that's when he was telling me about this tantric stuff. Then we have the gala. Yeah. And I'm sorry, every time I see that word, I remember the Groucho Marx line where he says, it's certainly been a gala day. And a gala day is enough for any man. Then we have the gala. He put me and CL, and never has that Groucho Marx line been more appropriate than when it's used in these statements in lawsuits against Tim Ballard. Yeah, gala day is enough for any man as long as your name is Tim Ballard. Then we have the gala. He put me and CL in the very front of the gala. <clears throat> he sat us at a table with Matt Osborne and Dean Morgan. He sat me right by Dean, and he also sat me next to his operator, the one he had been telling me about, DS, and her date. It felt very strange because automatically CL and I went to sit by each other and Matt and Dean splits us up, split us up. So Matt saw CL across the table from me and sat right next to her and Dean sat right next to me, which we were both were like looking at each other, which we both were like looking at each other, even text each other like what just happened? This is so weird. Dean was very nice. He started talking to me and asking me questions just about my life and how I was like training, liking training with Tim. And if I liked being like his partner, and if I liked being like his partner and things like that, that is three likes in one sentence clause. And if I liked being like his partner and things like that, kind of asked me what sort of training we were doing, and I started feeling a little bit that I was being interrogated. <clears throat> I sort of felt the need to be careful about what I was answering. I sort of started dodging his questions. I was feeling very nervous. For one, the contract I signed says I can't tell anybody about it being an operator. Not even anyone else in the company, not other operators. Nobody. So I'm feeling super nervous. I'm wondering even if it's a test. I'm feeling very uneasy. So I kind of am dodging his questions. I also had been talking to Tim and telling him that I was feeling very unsure about moving forward. I felt like he was not in a very good place, and I was feeling very heavy with him. I felt like he was relying on me for his mental stability at that point, and he just kept trying to say, like, come to this gala. It's going to be so great. It will be so fun, and let's talk later. And I kind of thought at first that he was sitting us right up front to just kind of like woo me and keep me going in this direction. But then I'm sitting next to D.S., who I feel she also is asking me lots of questions. Like, what kind of training have you done? Have you gone out with Tim yet? And I felt the need to ask her questions. And I said, did you feel it was worth it? Did you feel safe with him? Did you ever feel like you were in an awkward situation? She just kept saying, no, no, no. And I don't know if it's because her boyfriend was there, if Dean was listening, or what. But she was just saying how it is the best. You can trust Tim with your life. He would never put you in a situation that you could not get out of. He would put his life in front of yours. He promised to always keep me safe. And she said, at some points, you're going to have to be uncomfortable that he would never do anything that he is not supposed to do. And I said, okay. And that capacity, it made me think, okay, I think maybe I can move forward. She talked so much about how it was so worth it. Saving the children. It was so great. 
being there, how you felt important. You felt like you were doing so much good, all of these things. And it gave me some courage to keep going. The gala is done and people are dancing and talking. I decided to go to the bathroom because I feel that I'm in a very awkward situation sitting in the middle of Dean and DS. I make my way to the bathroom. I ran into Tim's wife and I had only met her the one time before when I did Tim's hair, but I stopped her because Tim said she felt like I should be his operator and I wanted to talk to her. Uh-oh. And I said, hi, do you remember me? I met you when I did Tim's hair and she seemed very, very uncomfortable with me. She said, oh yeah, she was very kind, very nice, but it seemed as if it was an uncomfortable situation for her. And since she did not seem to know that I was an operator for Tim, and she did not seem to know that I was an operator for Tim, she said, oh, are you still doing Tim's hair? And I said, yes. And she was like, that's so great. It's been looking good. She said she was sorry that I didn't like it blonde and that she might have been weird that day. And I said, oh, please don't be sorry. Please don't apologize. I hope that you ended up liking it. She said she did. And I just told her she looked beautiful and we moved on. I figured she didn't mention me being an operator with him because everything is so hush-hush. I thought that HDT was going to take the opportunity to ask Catherine if she had really recommended HDT to be Tim's operative. Missed opportunity. On the way back from the restroom, I ran into CL in the hall and also Dean and Matt Osborne. I automatically felt very, very trapped. I felt like they had pulled us out in the hall to ask us questions. They start asking us like, what kind of training we have done? I just look at CL, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And she tells them that we had done self-defense. It's interesting that if we look at it from the point of view of Matt and this Dean fellow being, being very concerned about Tim and what he's doing with his female operatives, and they go to his female operatives and they're trying to find out what kind of practices or training they've done. But Tim has already gotten his operatives to be suspicious of these other people, have them sign a DNA, a DNA, an NDA. You have to write really small to sign a, a DNA. Um, and it's just he, he foments all this suspicion and all the secrecy to the point where even if Dean and even if other uh, people even in the organization, are asking them what training they've been on with Tim. They're not telling him what kind of training they've been on with Tim. It's very, very, it's cunning and uh, even diabolical. The way he's triangulating people. We had gone out with Matt Cooper and done some shooting. They tell us, just so you ladies know, if Tim ever asked to take you to strip clubs, that is not something you should be doing. Okay, so they are trying to find it out. They're trying to find out what the heck Tim is doing and they're concerned and suspicious about Tim while Tim is planning the suspicions in them. So they go out shooting without Tim, with Matt Cooper, and Matt Cooper apparently says to them, or says to HDT at least, if Tim ever asks to take you to strip clubs, that is not something you should be doing. If you're ever put in a situation that you feel uncomfortable with, you guys need to let us know right away. By the way, this is going to be helpful information for Operation Underground Railroad as a defendant in the lawsuit, I think. Because there are indications that they're trying to find out what's going on. But it's the plaintiffs, the women, at least this woman, who are not telling them. 
So how are they supposed to take care of things and straighten things out if they're not being told what's really going on by the people who are experiencing it? That's all I'm thinking of as part of their defense. If you're ever put in a situation that you feel uncomfortable with, you guys need to let us know right away. We have very different opinions on how things should be run. And we would like you guys to let us know if you are ever in any of those situations. This all appears to be a long quote without quotation marks from Matt Cooper. Well, a couple of weeks before we had before we had just been in a strip clubs with Tim, so we clearly felt very awkward. I'm a rule follower. I clearly wanted to run away from this conversation. Dean kept looking at me. He knew by my face, period. I couldn't even speak. Matt Osborne gave CL. Wait a second. Dean kept looking at me. He knew by my face. See, there shouldn't be mind reading in these kinds of things, but apparently what she's saying is that she thinks that Dean could read his mind by looking at her face that she had been on operations that were sexual in nature with Tim. I couldn't even speak. Matt Osborne gave CL and I his card and said, thank you for sitting by us. And they walked away. We both said we were done with the gala or the gala and we left. We got in the car. We both felt so very uncomfortable at the gala. We weren't sure what was going on. And this may have been why Matt Cooper and Dean end up sitting, breaking up these two female operatives at the table at the gala and sitting next to them because we're going to try and get some information out of them. about Tim and the training sessions. CL and I had met up and drove together, so luckily we were driving back together. Anytime we had gotten together with Tim and Matt, they had made us turn off our phones because they didn't want anyone to listen in on our conversations. I had a camera in my house and Tim would always make me turn that off. So we were even scared to talk in her truck with our phones on. He has really imbued them with the paranoia that infests Tim's mind, allegedly. We turned them off so we could talk openly. Before this night, I had never told her anything about my long time, my long time with Tim, or how I had felt uncomfortable or, or any of our private conversations. I even showed her my text messages with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. We both talked about how the gala felt very uncomfortable and how some things with him for sure were inappropriate, that he really probably should not be going on ops. The gala was still going on, so I was not going to reach out to Tim, and I was going to wait a day or two. You know, I would swear that earlier in the statement, the gala was over, and there were people dancing on the floor, and that's when she went to the restroom. But here she's saying, the gala was still going on, so I was not going to reach out to Tim, and I was going to wait a day or two and kind of process things. And we both were unsure of where to go or what to do, so I decided, and I waited a couple of days. Tim ended up texting me asking me if I could wax him. Well, he needs regular waxing. It's like a surfboard. Asking me if I could wax him and give him a haircut. I said, sure, but so much happened the other night. I felt blindsided, and he did not know what I was talking about. He said that we needed to talk. Oh, yeah, Tim definitely needs to get this information from her that other people in OUR are trying to get information from her about Tim. He said that we needed to talk, so we had a conversation. I told him that the rules I feel that he gives me, I cannot talk to anybody about anything. Don't apply to other people. Because not only did DS know that I was his operator, so did Matt and Dean, which obviously they work there, and I understand, but we are in public and aren't supposed to talk about it. And I was shocked that DS knew that I was his operator. Then she was asking me questions, and I felt that she knew things about me. 
So I just said to him, I feel like you apply these rules to me. I can't talk to anybody, but everybody else can talk to me about it and open up to the public. I felt that they were interrogating me. They told us that we were not allowed to go to strip clubs. She's telling Tim, OUR officials said that. Matt Cooper said that. He told me that he was sorry that he put me in that situation, that this training program was new and that they were kind of still building it and that they weren't on the same page, but also that he's the boss. He is the head of the company and he will do whatever he wants. And then things start getting weird. Then things start getting weird. The ops that we were going to go on kept moving. It moved to January. Then it was moved to February. He started distancing himself more or from me a little bit more. I started feeling very insecure or unsure. So I'm sorry. I started feeling very unsure. CL and I had talked some more. I was worried that she had talked to Tim more and kind of told him I was uncomfortable, which did happen and is okay. Tim wanted to talk. I told him that maybe coordinating with Matt Cooper, CL and I would be better. That way, if it is just about operations, then it might feel a little more comfortable so that we could all be together. We talked about how we were going to do more training and start doing ops in the spring. He wanted to be waxed before, and he said he didn't want CL to know that he gets waxed. He was embarrassed and asked me to have them meet before and after. Yeah, I've got a feeling that one emotion that Tim Ballard probably rarely feels is embarrassment. He was embarrassed and asked me to have them meet before and after. We did that. I had him come a little before so we could wax his face really quick. That way he couldn't stay after for a long time and use that as an excuse. Of course, he wanted to stay after I wouldn't let him. Of course, he wanted to stay after I wouldn't let him. I didn't really want to talk to him about his personal life. I was trying to separate it out of our relationship. I had also talked to him about how I felt that Catherine did not know that I was his operator. He told me that he and Catherine talked about it in the temple. Talking about which woman should be Tim's operator in the celestial room. He told me that he and Catherine talked about it in the temple. She did, she did know that she also wanted me to be her hairdresser. I started just feeling like this was not okay. I wasn't feeling comfortable with any of it. Sometime in the middle of December, he started telling me that he was not going to do ops anymore, that he was going to run projects from home. So we had a talk on the phone. He wanted me to work with other operators. He called and texted me many times. He was so worried that I had talked to CL and told her that I had felt uncomfortable. He was worried that I would use my 15 minutes of fame and say something. He was worried about all the personal things he had told me that I would come out to the public. He would just tell me over and over how he had been under investigation, how all these evil people are after him, how it's so hard when you're doing all this good because evil just comes at you so hard. Poor Timmy. I genuinely felt so bad for him. It works. I genuinely felt so bad for him. I also felt guilty. I felt guilty for thinking that things that he had done to me had crossed the line. I felt guilty for having the thoughts come in my mind that maybe this was wrong. I felt guilty for feeling sick when I was at the strip club. I felt guilty for telling CL and showing her the texts. I was just kind of telling me, I was just kind of telling me that he was getting off all this medicine and he was getting ready to go to this camp where they would, I'm pretty sure, do like psychedelics on him for his brain.
to help him get through all of this stuff. She just, she just, this is CL. CL just kind of kept texting random things. Nothing big. He kind of, I felt like, started getting a little bit deceptive of like, I tell people things. That's the sentence. Nothing big. He kind of, I felt like, started getting a little bit deceptive of like, comma, I tell people things. Period. These are things that happen, and they always turn on me like I want you to be in my life, but I'm so worried that people, I just don't want you to tell anybody anything. I said that's what he just kept worrying about. He wanted to get together, but he was worried about our boundaries because we weren't doing ops anymore. I just kept telling him it's fine. We don't need to be worried about anything. That was it. We kind of talked about how he thought I should write a book about things from my past with my ex and things that I had endured. We realized we knew somebody in common, my cousin. He kept on about the cook, about the book, excuse me. I'm still back there on the cousin. Uh, he kept on about the book. We should get together and talk about writing that book and that if we got together that he could he could help me figure out how to do it. I also wanted to introduce him to one of my married friends. The husband wanted to really work for OUR. He had and talking to BC as well. But I kind, but I told him that I knew Tim Ballard, that I did his hair, and I would ask him personally. So I kind of brought it up to Tim, and he said, yeah, I would love to get together. We can talk about writing a book for you, and maybe we could meet your friend, and we could do those things. So he also was talking about how he thought maybe I really should do operations and partner with somebody else. All of these things. This is just all through text. At this point, I'm really sort of thinking that he feels very much like a narcissist. I asked him if he'll read a few books. If I asked him and he said, yes, I sent him, I sent, I send to them books on narcissists. And he said he will read them. More than anything, I kept sort of pushing to get together with him for my friend because he really did want to get a job and meet with him. He was also kind of telling me about how he was still getting depressed. We got together. He kept wanting me to wax his chest. I told him that I would wax his chest if he really needed it waxed. It says at waxed and his neck and like his face and stuff. And so he kept asking me to do it at my house. Is that one of the reasons, is that why his face is sometimes so red and ruddy because it's continually being waxed instead of shaving? I don't know. Some people were wondering if it was uh, alcohol. So other people were wondering if it was uh, drugs, ketamine, I don't know. So I told him, that I would wax his chest if he really needed it waxed in his neck and like his face and stuff. And so he kept asking me to do it at my house. I did not want to do it at my house alone with him. So I asked him to meet at my sister's studio, which is in my parents' basement in Pleasant Grove. Cooper came with him. We just went down there and we waxed it when we went to leave. Then we went to leave. When we were done, he went to hug me and he put his head in my neck and kissed my neck. And I was like, oh, what are you doing? And he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was like, it's okay, it's okay. And he apologized it about it. He just said, we are just friendships. Good, it was just very weird. So at this point, we just text until about January. The beginning of January, and we just text about random things. We don't really get together. I'm still kind of talking to him about helping him, having him help my friend get a job there. 
Finally, we met together with my friend and period. We met together with Ryan, Matt Cooper, and at my home. At this point, I had been telling Ryan that I did not think it was a good idea for him to be involved in OUR. Well, apparently that's the friend's name. He really badly wants to be an operative operator. I told him that I thought it was a horrible idea. I did not think his marriage would survive it. I obviously could not tell him what it was about because of confidentiality, the NDA. I told him that I would get him a meeting with Tim. I actually asked Tim to really be honest with him about what it was like because I did not think his marriage would survive it. Tim said that they did have other options of things that they could do and that he could probably get a different job there. Well, Tim and Matt were here first. They came here. Tim felt a little bit off when he got here. That's one sentence. They were only here for maybe about five minutes before Ryan got here. Ryan showed up. I don't remember what much they talked about except for when Tim started telling him that if he wanted to be an operator, that it's a crazy, horrible job. He started being very, very vulgar, talking about things that they would have to say to the sex traffickers in order to get them to believe that they are there to buy the children. He was saying horrible, awful things about things he would want to do to kids. And his face changed. His demeanor changed. He was showing Ryan that that's what it would be like. But not only that, it was like he kind of couldn't get out of the mode. He couldn't change back. He became vulgar. And I didn't recognize him. Right, Ryan left. Right, comma, Ryan left. And Tim started freaking out. He was opening my cupboards and slamming them. That's right there at her house. Or are they his sisters, her sister's salon in the basement of her parents' house? That's where they are. He was opening my cupboards and slamming them. I looked at Matt Cooper. What is going on? And he asked me to go upstairs for a minute. So I did. I went upstairs and I could just hear Tim yelling. I shut my bedroom door. I was honestly afraid. He was yelling and I could hear doors slamming and my cupboards opening and shutting again. And I came back down a little bit later when Matt told me I could, and he said he was fine, but that they were going to leave, and that was that. Okay. I think we're getting close to the end. I'm certainly hoping for that, let's see. Oh my goodness, okay, so three more pages. If we had deleted all the likes and justs, we would have been done already. If you lived here, you'd be home already. Somewhere between the evening of January 7th to the early morning of January 8th of 2022, Tim Ballard came over to my home. He came over because he needed me to cut his hair. He was going on a vacation with his family. I don't remember where they were going, but they were going to be on a cruise for, I believe, a week or two somewhere. He was really nervous about going and being away for that long. I'm sorry, the question that comes to mind is wondering what happened to her not wanting Tim to come over to her house and rearranging a meeting at the uh, sister studio in the basement of her parents' house. Is someone else there? He was really nervous about going and being away for that long. He had just done some intense therapy with the military. So he was hoping that he would be good mentally. When he arrived at my house, he seemed very intense and out of sorts. He was pacing in my living room. He looked stressed out. He was a little red in the face, and he started breathing heavily, like he was having a panic attack. I told him to sit down. He sat on my couch. I put my hand on his chest and kind of started rubbing it. I told him to just breathe. 
He started calming down and I gave him a hug. He pulled me in closer and nuzzled his head into my neck. It says and to in the statement. He started kissing my neck. I felt like he was in a delicate state, so I was trying to be gentle. I told him, Tim, you're okay. It's okay. He said, no, this is what I want. I said, it's not what you want. This is not what you want. I stood up and sat on the couch on the other side of him. He came over and kneeled in front of me and asked me if I believed if we came back reincarnated as other people in different lifetimes. Here comes the visions of glory BS. I told him that I had never thought about that before, and he said that he did. He believed that he and I had been married in a different life. Shades of Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow, who got the idea from Visions of Glory, I think. That is why he was so physically attracted to me and emotionally attached to me. He asked me if Catherine had ever, ever died or if they were to ever get divorced, if I thought we would get married. I wasn't really saying anything. I was in shock and a little bit nervous about what he was saying to me and what state he was in. I asked him what was going on and what was going through his head. And he was still kneeling in front of me and pulled me closer. He put his hands underneath my shirt in the back and started to pull up my shirt. About a month before that, I had had a boob job. So I told him to stop, Tim, that hurts. He said, I'll be careful. I still did not have a lot of strength. I was nervous. I didn't want to hurt myself, but I did not want him to hurt me. I was really nervous about the situation for many reasons. I was trembling. I asked him multiple times to stop. He kept saying to me, just trust me. You can just trust me right now. All I can think to say was just stop and ask him what's going on. And he still had his hands underneath my shirt and pulled it off the top of my head. He said, I just want to see. I just want to see. <clears throat> At this point, he unclipped the back of my bra. I'm trying to get up off the couch. I told him that it was hurting me. I wanted to get up. He was standing over me, so I'm having a hard time standing up. I turn over on my stomach and finally stand up. As I'm standing up, he takes his shirt off and he grabs me and he just hugs me. He said, I just need to fill you, which is a really, I, it must be feel you. And yet that is such a Utah accent type of thing to turn feel into fill. I think this is a Utah woman who actually did dictate this. And it took her word pronounced fill, meaning feel and translated it as Phil, just the way it sounded. As I'm standing, he takes up his shirt off and he grabs me and he just hugs me. He said, I just need to feel you. I just need to be skin to skin. I'm honestly terrified. I'm not sure what to do. I felt scared, nervous. I said, Tim, this isn't you. He yelled a little bit and he said, I don't even know who I am. Nothing feels like me. So I just kept saying, Tim, you're okay. You're okay. I tried to kind of back away as I was saying that. I thought maybe he was going to put his shirt on again, but instead he started. He started following me. <clears throat> this is like someone is dictating this and actually saying, but instead he started and then they pause and they say he started following me. But it, of course, uh, puts in both of the he started too. But again, he started following me. I started walking towards my front door still with my shirt and bra off. He started telling me he knows that I want him. He knows that I can feel it too. I'm definitely going to have to take a shower after this episode. 
He starts undoing his pants and he takes off his belt. I'm backing up against my stairs and before I can get even a few steps up, he grabs me and pushes himself on top of me so I'm laying against the stairs. He pulls down my pants, maybe to my knees or calves. I squeezed my legs together so he couldn't get them off more or open my legs more. I don't remember if his pants were all the way off or just halfway down. He starts grinding on me. I just remember squeezing my legs closed tight as I could. He starts telling me how beautiful I am. I'm starting to feel like I'm going to freeze up. I feel very trapped. I tried to get him to look me in the face. He wouldn't. He just kept almost talking to himself like he was talking himself into whatever mad state he was in. Finally, when he did look me in the face, I said, Tim, you don't want to do this. Please, Tim. He stood up, zipped his pants up. <clears throat> up, grabbed his shirt, and walked out my front door. Is that supposed to be Tim stood up? I don't know. But he grabbed the shirt and walked out my front door. I'm not even sure if at first I thought that I was sexually assaulted. I think that I still felt bad for him. I remember wondering if I just had an affair. I remember thinking, what did I do wrong? What was I doing to make him think that I wanted to do that? <clears throat> and the answer is, HDT, that you weren't doing anything wrong. It wasn't what you were doing. He was going to want to do that from the beginning from the very first time you met with you and had you sign the NDA. This is what it's all leading for or leading toward. This is what he has as a goal. And it's not about you and what you do or don't do. I started questioning myself if it even happened. I started feeling really sick a lot. I was sad a lot. Then my dad died a couple of weeks later and I don't think that I could think about it anymore. I think any time it popped into my mind, I would push it away. I had the self-doubt that was always there because I felt very unsure of what happened. Why did it happen? I almost refused to think about it until I ran into him back in June of 2023, this past June, at the CEO fight nights up in Salt Lake. I remember looking at him and feeling sadness. But I could not understand the look on his face of terror when he saw me. He looked mortified. I couldn't figure it out. Really? And I couldn't stop thinking about it. It seems pretty plain to me is all. I couldn't figure it out and I couldn't stop thinking about it for weeks after. But anytime I would try to think about it, I kept having weird flashes and I would get really sick again. Really, really sick. Then the sound of freedom started coming out for this movie. Then the sound of freedom started coming out. For his movie, Tim is all over the news. Okay, so the trick is I have to ignore all punctuation and just try and read it to try and make sense of it. Tim is all over the news. People everywhere are talking about him. What an amazing guy he is. I start remembering things, even from our trainings, and I start getting flashes of that night. And it wasn't until my friend Jamie Means and Ryan Means, M-E-A-N-S, who are friends with BC, who worked at OUR, asked me if I wanted to talk to BC. Jamie and Ryan told me that a while ago they told BC some inappropriate things had happened to me with Tim and that she wanted to talk to me, that she had been talking to some lawyers because inappropriate things have been happening to other women. I just started crying and I had no idea why. During the next couple of weeks, I looked at BC's number. I was afraid to call her. 
I've known BC for quite a few years. We have just seen each other at different things for mutual friends, the means. All I know is that my heart and my body were not okay, and I had to figure out what I had been hiding from myself. I wasn't totally sure why. I just knew in my heart that something had happened. My body and my mind weren't letting me go there. And as I was talking to BC, and I started telling her what happened, and she said, well, you were sexually assaulted. I think I was not even in a normal state of mind as I was talking to her, and she told me that. By the way, lots of people have been asking the question of whether Tim can be charged criminally for any of this activity. This allegation, he could definitely be charged criminally for. I got off the phone and every little thing came back to me. And even then, it took me quite a few days to really understand what happened and where my mind was at the time of the assault and why I was thinking the way I was now looking back on my life. Um, I was now looking back on my life ever since I've met Tim and seeing what it's done to me. I lost my job at the end of May of 2022. I have been really sick on and off. I haven't been able to keep my clients like I have my whole entire 20 years of doing hair. I haven't been functioning on a normal level. I have learned to block things out the last couple of years. If I feel scared or threatened, I will just block and pretend everything is fine. Then I go home by myself and fall apart. I can pull myself together for maybe a month and then I fall again. I know that I don't want this to happen to other people. I know that I would like to get help so that I can move on with my life and recover from what's been happening. And that is the end of the statement by the fourth woman in the first lawsuit against Tim Ballard. The statement of HDT. We have one more to read, that of DS. Thank you once again for those listeners who have forwarded that to me. So I can examine that in the next podcast. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me once again. Please hit like, please hit subscribe. And please go to RadioFreeMormon.org if the spirit moves you. And if you appreciate this podcast and the information I'm providing you, please go there, make a monthly recurring donation. All I ask is $5 a month. And thank you so much to all those who have donated previously and continue to donate to Radio Free Mormon. Your donations do keep Radio Free Mormon broadcasting behind enemy lines. Well, that's about all for tonight. Until next time. This is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.